What if instead of sending your clients a report as a PDF from QuickBooks, you could invite them to a suite of interactive reports where they can drill down on any number, gain insights, and easily communicate with you about any report, account, total, or even an individual transaction? What if you could do this for free? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Digits, later in the episode. Yeah, what they should be teaching us is like, here's a messed up process. How do we make it better? How do we optimize it? Because that's a lot of what accountants are doing now, especially with no code. It's about taking a process, understanding it, fixing it, or optimizing it, or whatever word you want to use, and then applying the technology to it. If you just teach people the technology, but they don't know how to think critically about a process, they're just going to make a bad process more efficient, which doesn't help anyone. Yeah. Coming to you weekly from the OnPay Recording Studio, this is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. I'm David Leary. David, good to see you. We stepped up our, our light game here. I turned yeah. on my lights, you turned on your lights. Well, our, our regular listeners cannot see us right now. We only put out clips of our show on social media occasionally. But if you happen to catch one on LinkedIn or on Twitter, you'll see. Uh, see we've upped lights. our game with the the lighting in the background. Are we going to become anything, YouTubers? We get to see each other like this. Exactly. Yeah, that's the difference. That's the difference yes. on that. <laughs> ah. So you were in LA, you went to Disney, came back. So last time we recorded, you were in your father-in-law's studio. Yes. I, that weekend, was staying... Uh, my wife was out of town, so I was. So I stayed home. Did the opposite, right? I stayed home, and James and I went and saw. He, he was like, "Oh, we got to go see this movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once." I'm like, hey, "That's a crazy title. I didn't really know anything about it." And then he kind of half showed me the preview, and they're really into. My kids are really into like the Korean, those bands like BTS and the Korean pop and those Korean shows. What was the one on Netflix? The really big one, the, uh, where the people had to crawl. Well, you're talking about a uh, uh, Squid Game. Squid Games, right? So they're really into all that whole scene. So I'm like, all right, I'll appease you. Let's go see this movie. Okay. So go to this movie. And the reason I'm bringing it up on the show is basically the whole entire movie takes place at an IRS office. Really? So the main character is be they're being audited. Now there's time wow. travel and all this other crazy stuff going on. Like some of this is like a, it's a dark comedy. Some of it's a, um, it's an action flick. You know, they're, they're just, it's, it's just a good movie. But yeah, the, uh, the IRS auditor is um, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I, I don't want to like spoil the movie for people, but she points to these trophies she has right on her desk for like being the number one auditor. <laughs> and the trophies at the IRS. And I, okay, cover your kids' ears. Essentially, they're butt plucks. <laughs> because she talks about how she like you, you, she reams people like I'm just like it was just genius so the whole time oh, I watch this movie I'm like oh this is like a movie account this is for accountants and bookkeepers the whole thing takes place at the IRS I have and, to see this now I'm excited yes. yeah well there's another movie that everyone's going to see this week probably this weekend too and that's Top Gun yes on the list on the list yeah. on your list okay so here's a crazy fact about Top Gun Val Kilmer is in the movie and, you know, Val Kilmer, he lost his voice. And I don't remember why, like throat cancer or something. He can't speak anymore. Or, yes, or when he... He came to Tucson. He did a one-man show where he was... Um, oh, man. Who's the big... Mark Twain, right? 
he did a one mar- one man show, and then after he opened up to the audience for questions, and he came out, and I didn't know, like most of the audience didn't know at the time he was suffering cancer. You said he was drunk off his ass, like because oh. he, he was struggling to talk, and you're like, what is going on? And then to find out after the fact, yeah. So I saw him recent for, in the last like three years. I saw him recently. So tra- listeners, stick with me. There's a tie-in okay. to our okay. profession here. Uh, so Val Kilmer is in the movie. You can't make Top Gun without Val Kilmer. And Tom Cruise, right? Yes. He couldn't speak. And so the way, if you go see the movie, you'll see that he speaks. And the way they did it is they created his dialogue with AI. They trained an artificial intelligence with his recordings of his voice. Like all his old movies and stuff like that. Yes. Yes. Which listeners of the show will will remember. I've done this with emails that we get with tweets. From our listeners, I can convert those using a, an AI. It's an app called Descript that we use to produce this show. And it will take text and it'll create an AI version of that voice and then read it. And you can actually do this with your own voice. And I've done this with my own voice. Perhaps in a future episode, I'll play a clip of that. But it's, it's like a really powerful tool. And a lot of people don't notice it when it, it's getting, gotten so good. And so that's what they did in Top Gun. And I bet you a lot of people won't even notice. And also, I saw something similar, actually even more striking, in uh, Obi-Wan, uh, not Obi-Wan, uh, Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett on Disney+. Plus. Are you a Star Wars fan, is, David? I, I am a Star Wars fan, but like, I, can't, I can't keep up. There's too many shows. Like, well, so, and if so, nothing's you know, numbered, I don't know what to do. That's why I stopped watching Harry Potter's. I'm like, which one is this? I don't know. I can't do this. I need numbers. That's why Rocky well, so, was great. It was easy. It was numbered for me. So in the book, book of Boba Fett, there's a there's an episode. I don't want to spoil it too much for people, so I won't give away a lot. But basically, uh, Grogu, you know, Baby Yoda, uh, ends up at Luke Skywalker's academy, Jedi Academy, and you know Mark Hamill. He he. This this show takes place when Luke Skywalker is still young, and Mark Hamill is by no means young. So the question was, are they going to recast him? They're going to recast Luke Skywalker, which would be kind of hard for people, right? That would be a big change since nobody's ever played him other than uh, Mark Hamill. And so what they did is they used a body double and then CGI'd Mark Hamill's face and voice onto the body double. They didn't even use Mark Hamill. And you you can tell it's not quite perfect, but it's so good, it's shocking how good it is. It's like he's in the movie. So this is a future in which this is pointing to a future in which we're going to have movies with like famous actors where they didn't, it's just their face and voice. They didn't, they, they weren't in the film. So how does this, I guess, like you're, so you're tied to account. And besides the fact that you recorded our voicemails like that using the similar technology, yeah. like where's this tie in? I'm waiting for the big, like, oh, and I noticed blah, blah, blah. You know, so this technology is something <laughs> right. So the dark side of this technology is known as deep fake technology. Yes. So this technology has been used. This kind of technology has been used by fraudsters to call up a head of finance and pretend to be the CEO and ask for a wire transfer. And the voice sounds real and you can actually create the voices in real time. Or with very little delay. Like I can type on my computer and create your voice, David. So so I call you first. You being 
employee so-and-so. We have yeah. a conversation. I get a little sample of your voice. Then I turn that into, I, I write up a different phone call and I use your voice to turn it into a conversation. Then I call the CEO to get some bill approved. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, like, and if I'm a public person, you've probably got plenty of recordings of me talking, right? So you just feed oh, that into the AI that model. Big corporation. Yeah. I, the yeah. CFO does a video ch- yeah. conference calls, right? Yeah. So, so for example, with the app we use, which is consumer grade technology, you can use as little as 10 minutes of audio feed that in and get a voice. And it, I played it for my wife and it sounds, she, she's like, wow, fr- from, if I wasn't really paying attention, like sounds like you. So yeah, you, what you can do is, and this has happened is, is make a voice model of a CEO or somebody who has purchase authority, you call up somebody who can make those payments. Like David, in the example you gave, you would create a voice model. Uh, somebody could create a voice model of you based on our podcast, call me up and say, Hey, Blake, I want to change my bank account for transfers for my podcast host fees and then get me to change it. And then now we've been defrauded. So I'm trying to think, okay, so you're using Bill.com, Emilio, you know, the, the, lots of these AP approval process or apps that are out there. Okay. And a lot of these apps have an inbox where you can just email the invoice in. Right. Right. So even though there's an approval process, like they could email a fake invoice in on one end or a fake bill make that phone call that feels like an approval and you right. push it through. So yeah. is there, it, like, do you, should you have, I guess where I'm thinking, yes, it's nice to have the approval come through the app, but then should you also f- at your, depending on the size of your, the firm or your client or you know, whoever this is, a, a certain amount of approvals that maybe have to come through a private channel. Like it's, Hey, there's this one Slack channel that nobody can get to from the outside of the world. And like that, that I, additional verification. Yeah. I think multi-factor. Is the key. Yeah, so sort of, yeah. If if you're still it used to be like, you know, a video call, a voice call was plenty. You could couldn't fake somebody's voice very easily. And it was unlikely that was going to happen. And so people relied on this. I'd right? call them up, ask for the money transfer, it goes through. You can't do that anymore. Can't rely on that anymore. So two factor authentication. So after the call, send a text message and say yes to confirm. Something like that, right? Because or... I mean, I've seen this with your email where they'll they'll send the email saying, "Hey, we changed banks, right? Make the payment go here now." And by the time you catch it, it's over. You've already transferred mm-hmm. the money; it's yeah. gone. Yeah. And so this, they they can do the same thing. They can just make a phone call. Right. Hey, this is Joe and Joe from Joe's Plumbing. When you go to pay me, yeah, it's his new bank account. Yeah. And you cannot tell with these expensive AI models that they use for these films. You can't tell Check that this out. is not the actor. And and so it's going to get down to consumer level. It's going to get down to the hackers. They're going to do this stuff. So, so it feels yeah, like there's a, an opportunity here for third-party app developers that's like two-factor, right? Like, like there's going to have to be a second layer of some type of verification that's outside the, the typical workflow. Because even if you think you have the workflow in now, it's subject to some risk. So the other bit of news that caught my attention was our friend Elon Musk told all of his employees, emailed all of his employees at all of his companies that they must all come back to the office at least 40 hours a week, no exceptions. And that got widely reported in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, of course, you know, anything. You can't escape Elon Musk these days, anything he says. I think I saw somebody tweet this, like, if I could just like not hear about Elon Musk for the rest of my life, I'd be happy, right? (laughs) But sorry, not going to happen. So what's his reasoning on this? I'm going to, speculate that, you know, as he digs in the covers more on Twitter, 
I think he's discovering that nobody's been working at Twitter for three or four years, essentially. And, well, there's, there's people and at he's Twitter. just swinging the pendulum the other direction. <laughs> so, so Jack Dorsey, CEO of Twitter, told everyone they could work remotely forever, right? So those people are probably freaking out yeah. right now about Elon Musk potentially owning it. So, I mean, his reasoning is that, uh, let's just read from the email. Everyone at Tesla is required to spend a minimum of 40 hours in the office per week. Moreover, the office must be where your actual colleagues are located, not some remote pseudo office. If you don't show up, we will assume you have resigned. The more senior you are, the more visible must be your presence. That is why I lived in the factory so much, so that those on the line could see me working alongside them. If I had not done that, Tesla would long ago have gone bankrupt. There are, of course, companies that don't require this, but when was the last time they shipped a great new product? It's been a while. Tesla has and will create and actually manufacture the most exciting and meaningful products of any company on earth. This will not happen by phoning it in. Thanks, Elon. And the headline of that email, the subject line of that email was to be super clear. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, this is... And then that, and that's fine. Like make, like, make your statement. Yeah. Your firm, whatever. You're going to be a... 100% hybrid firm, you're going to be a 100% remote firm, you're going to be an office firm, and then let employees choose where they want to work, right? Like, it's very clear that so there's no grayness on this. Now, the yeah. next person that applies to work for an Elon Musk company will know what they're getting into. Exactly. Right? And that's some of the response to this that I've heard, that I've read online from people who worked at his companies is that it's not the kind of place you go to have work-life balance. If you're an engineer at SpaceX or at Tesla or whatever, like you, you're there to like dedicate your life to, to that. They're to win. Yeah. And that's great. Companies like that. Great. Like if that's what the company culture is great. And probably in person is the best fit for that. But like, I think the reason accounting firms are struggling is because we're not making rockets that go to Mars. It's not the most exciting thing. Audits can be done from anywhere. And once people the realize of the work, that, correct, right? Yes. Yeah, it's the nature of the work, right? And like, people don't go into accounting because they want to change the world. They go into accounting because they want to have a steady, stable career that pays well, and it's work they enjoy. Like that's me, right? Like I switched careers because I was tired of being a poor, broke musician, or I could see that future for myself, and I didn't want that. I wanted to have a nice quality of life yeah. and do something that I liked. So I mean, it makes sense, right? Like in some. Because Airbnbs basically said everybody can be 100% work anywhere you want, which makes yeah. sense because if you're in the business of making software for people to vacation and work from wherever they want, you want your employees to actually have that experience as well, right? So they can write a better product. So, so it definitely makes sense from a strategic standpoint, but you're right. Like when it comes to the work, if the work can be done anywhere, like why does it matter? Yeah. And the, the facts are against Musk on this point. Americans work more when they work from home. Makes obvious sense to me. They're not commuting. They're not wasting time chatting with coworkers. There's just so much more efficiency coming to your office at home in the morning. And then they're actually getting better at it. There was a story in Vox about a study at Stanford University. Nicholas Bloom, a professor there, has been studying remote work since before it was cool. <laughs> that's, that's in the article. He uh, teamed up with University of Chicago and MIT and ITAM and did this huge ongoing survey about employees' work arrangements and attitudes toward remote work. In April, 
people who worked remotely at least some of the time reported being 9% more efficient working from home than they were working from the office. That's up from 5% in the summer of 2020. So we have actually gotten better at it. But, but, but is this also starting to become an economic class thing? And what I mean by that is like people that work fast food, they don't get to work from home. People that are on the, the factory line don't get to work from home. Like, is this going to turn into people that have the luxury to work from home? Like, is this turning into like that type of a divide, another divide in our society, the work from homers yeah. and people that can't yeah. work from home. And, and a good example of this, and this is, I, I definitely see where Elon Musk is going to be dead right on this. It, did you watch on Netflix, the documentary about Boeing? Uh, no. So Boeing, you know, obviously they've had all these crashes. They used to never have crashes, right? And the reason why ultimately they, it was all in Seattle. Everything was in Seattle. The engineers were in Seattle. The, they put the planes together in Seattle. Management was in Seattle. Everything was in Seattle at the one location. Well, then they got bought by Northam Grumman or whoever. Somebody bought them eventually. And then they moved all the management to Chicago. And that's like working re remotely, right? Basically, right. all the managers and all the people that aren't actually putting the plane together are in a whole different city. And what happened is mm. the communication cycles broke down and planes crashed. Ultimately, that that's essentially what caused the, the those three or four those planes that went down, right? Yeah, was, yeah. And it's because of ma the management was so far away from the product, and this could happen if you're building stuff. People that are remote, like you're going to be away from the product. Now again, I can see that. Does it yeah. matter for accounting, bookkeeping? I don't know. Interesting. That's something to consider. I mean, and as we've talked in the past, people who work remotely are more likely to blow the whistle on their companies. So the SEC saw an increase. I mean, that's my conclusion. Interesting. The SEC saw an increase in whistleblowing during the pandemic when people were working at home. And I attribute that to people being less loyal to their companies when they work remotely. And that's contributing to the turnover that we have in our profession too. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by A2X. Since 2014, A2X has helped thousands of online merchants and their advisors save inordinate amounts of time reconciling the revenue for their online stores. A2X posts tidy summaries of sales, returns, and fees from Shopify and Amazon directly into QuickBooks or Xero that exactly match the deposits that appear in the bank account, allowing you to accurately reconcile in just one click, giving you the confidence of knowing that your client's e-commerce financials are accurate. Cloud Accounting Podcast listener and e-commerce expert Scott Scharf said A2X is the gold standard in e-commerce accounting. A2X has a partner program for accountants and bookkeepers that includes one-on-one -on -one onboarding, training for you and your team, and exclusive marketing opportunities. To learn more about using A2X and get 50% off your subscription for three months by using code CAP50, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash A2X. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash A, the number two, X. And I think that was a, we had an article, there was a title about that. I think I remember like, if, if you've never actually been to the office, have you even ever actually worked there? Right. And so it's easy for the, 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 the company to just blow you off and lay you off just as it is for you just to quit. Right? right. Right. So there was a story in the journal of accountancy related to remote work and specifically when it comes to audit, Jennifer Wilson of Convergence Coaching did, does a biennial survey, the Anytime Anywhere Work Survey. Now, in the latest version of that survey, which is focused on remote work, 61%, so over half, of 200 
23 CPA firms surveyed, they plan to conduct more than half of their audit work remotely in the future. And that same question when asked pre-pandemic only had 17% of firms indicating they'd conduct the majority of their audit work away from client locations. That's a huge shift. And I don't think it's going to go back, right? It's just so much cheaper to do the audit remotely. But can, I guess that, that's when I definitely have a question on, right? Because like a lot of things with audit, right? Don't you need to go and like open the file cabinets and get like the physical bank statements, count the physical inventory, like it does seem well, like some part, of, like that's the point of auditing, making sure what's reported on reports is matching yeah. the physical real world. <laughs> like, So I had the exact situation of making, I helped make an audit go remote. When I was in, in practice, I, uh, I worked for a not-for-profit that had an annual audit and I was responsible for all the books. This is actually before I started my firm and okay. uh, it was my biggest client when I was freelancing. Auditor used to come in three days every year to do the audit, and they would pull the bills from the filing cabinet. They would pull the canceled checks. They would pull the bank statements, all that stuff, and I had to help. And then we went on to bill.com, and we did zero, and we did you know, payroll. Yeah. Uh, well, payroll was already like ADP, I think. But basically, I could give him access to bill.com. You could see all the approvals, see all the payments, trace everything to the bank statements, which are all online was able to only come in one day to do the interviews. You know, those interviews where you sit down yeah. and they ask you the questions like, did you, did you commit any fraud? <laughs> and then you say like, no, I didn't, please. You know, basically those like check the box kind of interview questions where they ask you about internal controls and all that crap. And, and it was like, he was so happy. You have no idea. Like he, he, he told me, he was kind of a, like an oddball kind of guy, but I think a lot of auto partners are. <laughs> And he, he told Please me send emails to Blake. No, he said like he said, Blake, this is amazing. I did I did most of the audit in my underwear on my couch. I was like, that was not an image I needed to have in my head. I'm sorry, but yeah. So like that was an early version of it, right? I made it possible for him. And so now like with all the little hybrid tools, model. Yeah, it was hybrid, right? And there's some stuff you have to do face to face, but like now with Zoom and stuff, hey, why not? Why can't I get on? a call with somebody and do it on Zoom. Do you really think the auditors are like really sniffing out fraud with like in-person body language? I doubt it. No, I They're know. so bad at catching it in the first place. You think it's going to make a difference whether somebody's on a screen or not? I really doubt it. That's possible. That's possible. I don't know. Anyway, anything more about remote work? I don't think so. Where do you want to go from here? No, but this could be kind of tied, I guess. Um, so this is an article in Financial Express about how CFOs are more involved in corporate strategy, digitization, and less involved in the accounting and auditing at the organization, right? And CEOs or CFOs? These are CFOs. CFOs. So, so less this is a study conducted by Cray, K-R-E-A University and Dun & Bradstreet. And essentially, like one of the findings in there like CFOs now find themselves more involved in corporate strategy, organizational transformation, digitization, enterprise risk management. So if the if everybody's working remotely, right? Like how and we're, we're on the agreement that maybe the accounting and bookkeeping and financial stuff can be done remotely. Does that mean like CFOs are going to have to be in the office more to work with all the other teams of the organization? Yeah. Um, and then the other big takeaway in there how it talked about how CFOs need to build up relationship capital through greater people-oriented skills, including communication and collaboration with teams across the organization. So even though it's not truly a remote work story, it's just like, how do you do those things if the employees aren't around? Or you're you 
are not in the office. So David, we got a listener voicemail and I love when we get these. So I'd like to play it for you. Hey there, Blake and David. My name is Allison Rife Martin. I am a CPA and a small CPA firm owner. I'm also a regular listener and love your insightful and thought-provoking podcast. I wanted to comment on your discussion on accounting today's article, Train Accountants on Technology or Technologists on Accounting. The article asks the wrong question and speaks to how society views education. Education is now viewed as training for skills, not educating for knowledge, understanding, and most importantly, critical thinking. The question also speaks to why fewer people are going into the accounting profession. Our focus and the questions in the article are seem to always be on the process of accounting, not the knowledge of accounting. If I knew that all I had to look forward to in accounting was posting journal entries, reconciling accounts, closing the books each month, and always just only preparing a tax return, I would never go into the profession because, as I'm sure we all know, the process of accounting itself is boring. Now, what I think the question fails to address is that accounting is the root language of business. If I am taught how to speak and interpret the language of accounting and ultimately business, I am in a much better position to be a valuable advisor to a business owner. And I can do more than just give a 30,000 foot view of the data and what the differences are every year as Jim Burke suggests in the article. We all know it's difficult to learn another language. Heck, I think back to junior high, high school, and college all the way up to advanced French grammar learning French. It's really difficult and it took a lot of time. Now, once we master speaking and understanding the language of accountant, we are in a great position again to provide valuable info to help the business owners grow their businesses in the direction that they want to go. I think the accounting profession has lost sight of emphasizing how valuable we are once we master the language. And this is where accounting should shift their focus back to how to speak and help business owners understand accounting rather than just how to do it. And to quote Benjamin Franklin, tell me and I will forget, teach me and I will remember, involve me and I will learn. That's where the accounting profession should go back to. Now that said, I am team accounting. I might not know how to pull the data to get the answer to the question, but I know what to ask for and why I'm asking for it. My understanding of accounting and business helped me to do both the granular and the 30,000 foot view, providing insight beyond the, just the original question. Thanks again for your time, and I really do love your podcast. Thank you so much, Allison, for that very thoughtful voicemail. It's so quali- the quality was so good. Like her pace is great. Like it's such a good. She should start a podcast. <laughs> well, I guess we should offer some context. So in case our listeners don't recall or didn't listen to that yeah. episode. Uh, so that was in response to an article that we talked about in accounting today, asking whether or not it's easier these days to hire accountants and train them on technology or hire technology people and train them on accounting. And there was a bit of a debate or different viewpoints expressed in that article. I guess even the way that that question comes across, it's coming out right out of the gate that it's one or the other. Well, to to be fair, That one person can't be taught this and that person can't be taught this. It's like, it's already seated with that mindset. Well, no, I mean, I think the premise is you can teach it. The question is what's easier. Yeah, yeah. And among the firm owners that I talk to, vast majority 
at least the majority, I'm sure, would say it's easier these days to, in a modern firm, take somebody who knows technology and is good with technology and teach them the fundamentals of accounting. I agree with that 100%. It's very difficult to take somebody who's had no exposure to tech and has only done a traditional accounting degree in the CPA exam and teach them how to do all this stuff because they didn't learn it in school. It's like not in the curriculum yeah. in most schools. Like QuickBooks might be an elective if you're lucky. Say nothing of ERP systems and procurement systems and bill pay systems and payroll systems and all these systems that we use now. Most people are still learning how to do journal entries on paper. So for me, I come down firmly on the side of it's easier to train a technologist to do accounting because the education lacks. And I agree with Allison very strongly that it's important that we teach accountants to do critical thinking and that one of the big problems with our current system of education is that we don't teach that. We teach people rules to follow and we don't teach them how to think critically. We don't think that, teach them how to ask why. And so you end up with people who don't, it's actually, it's, it, it was good in the past when there was a process and a system that didn't change and you just needed people to come in and follow an existing process. Same as last year, right? But it's not good in a changing dynamic environment where you need people to change how they're doing things. And so like, this is a problem with accounting education. You know, my personal experience could have been on the, you know, side of just teach people the rules. But I think a lot of, a lot of uh, programs still just teach the CPA exam and the CPA exam is very rules-based. And, you know, while they, they've added technology into the CPA exam, like it's still not about critical thinking. It's way more important to be a good critical thinker and to know how to ask questions and to solve problems these days because everything's changing so fast than to memorize rules and regulations. And that's so the real still valuable a, person here would be to somebody that's an accounting major that has a minor in maybe engineering or a minor in uh, philosophy method or philosophy. Okay. Yeah. Right? Liberal arts, somebody who can write and read and think critically, right? That's super important. I mean, for a while after school, I was upset with myself because I'd, I'd done, basically I started as a liberal arts major, did a good chunk of that. And then I uh, went into music and I didn't have any practical skills when I graduated and I was in the great recession and that sucked because I couldn't get a job because people only wanted to hire you if you had practical skills, like you could just get up and running. So that's why I ended up getting an accounting certificate. And I'm realizing now as I'm older that the critical thinking skills I got as a liberal arts student, the student of literature and writing and rhetoric and all that stuff has made me invaluable because there's so many people that can't think that way. And it's really hard to train an adult to think critically when they didn't learn it in school. I mean, it takes years and years and years yeah. to be a good thinker, right? Uh, and so that's the, the problem is like with the CPA exam, we're going in the wrong direction because we're just adding in technology, but we're not teaching people to think critically about it. And the technology is going to be outdated by the time you actually get into the workforce at this point. Well, I think, and I don't know if it's still true, but like, I always remember the accounting books when I was in college, like it always have like this CD-ROM glued to the back, right? And then it would be some like weird modified version of a DOS Lotus 1, 2, 3 kind of spreadsheet program. And this is well in the 90s. So Windows was around. 
right? But you'd definitely be using technology that was 20 years old. So I'm sure probably now yeah. it's moved to some sort of web-based type thing in theory. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or they still yeah. put in the CD-ROM in the back of the book. <laughs> I, I learned how to do process diagrams in my managerial accounting course. And uh, we had to memorize the icons for like tape backup drives, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff that doesn't even exist. I mean, I guess it probably still exists in some corporations, but I was just like shocked. But they, they were teaching us how to diagram these things, but they weren't teaching us how to optimize them or improve them or think about them critically. Or actually use them. Or <laughs> use them, right. They were just teaching us how to make it. You've never actually touched a tape drive. You've never yeah. actually made a but backup. Like, it's just the design. Yeah, what they should be teaching us is like, here's a messed up process. How do we make it better? How do we optimize it? And because that's a lot of what accountants are doing now, especially with no code. It's about taking a process, understanding it, fixing it, or optimizing it or whatever word you want to use, and then applying the technology to it. If you just pe teach people the technology, but they don't know how to think critically about a process, they're just going to make a bad process more efficient, which doesn't help anyone. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Digits. Digits is building accounting tools so powerful that you'll think they're from the future. Using Digits is easy. You just connect it to QuickBooks, and about 24 hours later, all your data will be fully analyzed, allowing you to use all the Digits tools. Digits reports can generate all your clients' monthly reports all at the same time with just one click. And these reports aren't your typical boring static PDF reports. They're beautiful, interactive, and alive with the latest data. Digit Search, you can use to quickly find and navigate directly to transactions inside of QuickBooks Online. And Digit's newest offering, Digit's Boost, will automatically notify you about miscategorized transactions, messy vendor data, and any personal identifiable information that you may want to keep private. You can then correct the data and push the changes back to QuickBooks Online without leaving Digit's. To learn more about Digits and to sign up for free, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash digits. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-I-G-I-T-S. Digits, finance from the future. Yeah, and, and, and I'll, so. I'll, I'll play off of that word, this bad process, more efficient. So <laughs> the what, what prompted that voicemail was the article. So Accounting Today is running a series called The Frontier, quote unquote. And so the same people that were in the other article have been asked a new question, right? And this time, the title of the article this time is The Frontier. For efficiency to live, email must die. For efficiency to live, email must email die. Email must die. And this, this is like, it's never going to die, guys. Like, <laughs> Well, that's some of that, yes. But I, I also feel like it's not email. Like we're, we're focused on the wrong problem. So let's just read the right. quotes first and discuss from there. Right. Okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So in general, the thought leaders are saying that emails transformed from boom to burden. It's wait, now wait, before you get into that. Cross. Before you yes. get into that, can you tell what was the premise of the article? Like, what was the question they were asked? It's not as clear and as black and white about the question. This okay. jumps some. Just basically, it's hate of email. Like, okay. So it's just a summary of people's thoughts on the, these four same four people again. Right. It was the same okay. people that they did last time. So they they must have Got interviewed it. them across. A big swab of things, and they're breaking it up into four articles. You know, you get more clicks when you do that. They get yeah, more, it's more they efficient. Get, it gets talked about on the cloud accounting podcast multiple times. That's I guess. right. Maybe that's, that's right. their strategy. Okay, sorry. Right. So, so Continue. essentially, the this emails transform from boon to burden. It's a albatross around the profession's neck that holds it back from digital transformation. So that's the argument here. Like okay. emails holding back the 
industry from transforming to the future. So Randy Johnson, okay. founder of Network Management Group Incorporated, said he dislikes it for the same reasons a lot of people do, the never-ending inbox. Joseph Woodard, which is, it's funny because like, it's obviously whoever wrote this or did Doesn't the interviews, know always is not in our site and not in our industry. It's very, so this is probably a outside reporter or something. Not, so it says, Joseph Woodard, leader of Woodard Events, which runs Scaling New Heights Accounting Technology Conference, has more than an ample supply which he can share out without even pausing to think. Quote, unquote, I despise email. I despise it because it's insecure. I despise it because it's overrun with solicitations, which I find ironic because it's a lot of the apps that sponsor his conferences. They get email addresses at his conference that send emails to all the accountants and bookkeepers. Right? I despise it because it creates vulnerabilities in my company through phishing schemes. I despise it because it, it's a massive distraction. It's impossible to tame. It's very v- difficult to tame. And it costs my company tens of thousands of dollars a year by its very existence, he said. Um, and then the other, uh, James Bork, uh, partner and managing director, advisory services, top 100 firm with him, said that other communication tools like Slack or Teams have many of the strengths of email with few of its weaknesses. And this is where like, I disagree. I 100% disagree. This is why yeah. I want to bring this up because yeah. Anyone email, who, go ahead. I do not go feel ahead. like the, in, I, I have inbound messages used to just be inbox. It was kind of easy in those days, actually. Sure. Was, was email inbox gigantic, but now I have messages on Slack. You send me messages through some Google tool. Sometimes I get tagged in a Notion thing. Sometimes it's Favreau. Sometimes it's text. Sometimes I have a direct message on LinkedIn. Sometimes it's a direct message on Twitter. Like the And then I'm on Slack and your multiple Slack channels. Like it's, it's actually crazier. It isn't, isn't, it isn't <laughs> yeah. better. It's actually worse. It was better when only email existed. That's my, my take. No, it's, that's a great valid point. And I agree with you. We've replaced the overloaded inbox with hundreds or thousands of messages that you're never going to get to that are often irrelevant to you with eight Slack channels and texts and Google chats and probably a dozen different channels in some cases. Or and, tools oh, LinkedIn, that accountants use worst. that send emails. Like, which is even the crazier thing. Like LinkedIn messages, tools. LinkedIn messages, the bane of my existence. I cannot stay on top of that. Twitter direct messages. And so uh, it's not, I don't think that's better. Honestly, honestly, like that's, that's worse. You know, how you can get rid of email is we could all just go back to working in person and people just walk up and talk to each other. And then we'll be, we don't need any of these tools anymore. Oh, that's the worst. No, there's no solutions about this other than they all universally hate email and think yeah. nobody should use it anymore and blah, blah, blah. But well, I think part of the problem is that when you have multiple communication channels, you need to decide what kind of communication goes where. So I was always very clear with the businesses that I ran that you use email for this and you use Slack for this. Like Slack is for timely communication. It's for broad communication as well. So like in the general channel in Slack, you post stuff that might be of interest to anyone in the company, and that way you're not overloading their inbox. And you use the direct messages to get the attention of somebody who might not be checking their email every day. But other than those situations, you use email and there's an expected like response time. And so like the problem is people don't set guidelines and just commu- every, all communication happens everywhere. It's like that movie. Everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> once, exactly. Right? That's what that's what our lives are like today. But this ties back to remote work, right? You think about Slack. Like, if you're at work, there's people that hang around at the water cooler. You go over yeah. and get your water cooler. You know, like, they're the water cooler dudes that don't actually work. You know, they hang around there all day. But you go, you get your water, but you physically can walk away. But if you're in Slack, 
all these other chats keep popping up. The rooms keep popping up. The discussions yeah. keep popping up. You cannot get away from the water cooler unless you completely turn off Slack. And I had to get to that point when I was even like, I had to take Slack off my phone. I was like, it just, I couldn't do oh, it. Yeah. It couldn't yeah. be on my phone anymore. I'd be like, oh, it's only open when I open it. But like, it's very hard to put boundaries on this. And this is why there's probably a push to go back to the office because guess what? Now, as a manager, you can be like, yeah, you three doofuses that keep hanging at the water cooler, you're gone. Like, we people have to get work done. Mm-hmm. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Canopy. Accounting practice management software should bring together all your firm's mission-critical functions in one place. Client management, document management, workflow, time and billing, and payments to keep your team organized. Canopy knows that not all firms are on the same practice management journey or timeline. So Canopy lets you build your practice management platform as you need it. You start with client management as your foundation, then you choose the modules that your firm needs. And since nobody likes paying for modules they don't use, they offer modular pricing as well. Canopy integrates with QuickBooks Online, Xero, FreshBooks, CRMs, form builders, spreadsheets, calendars, email, and Zapier. They have a mobile app, centralized file management, fillable PDFs, a client portal, task management, and the list goes on and on. Via their integration with the IRS, you can easily retrieve all your clients' transcripts, notices, and child tax care credit payments without leaving Canopy. To try Canopy free for 30 days, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Canopy. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash C-A-N-O-P-Y. We haven't talked about Big Four yet, have we? I don't. So, so not too much. No, not, to, not right. on this episode yet. What's new? So... We talked last week, it was very, very just breaking news kind of about how EY is considering the split off of their audit and advisory businesses. Well, now there's a little bit more news coming out about this, a little more in-depth articles. And uh, just one thing had the numbers. So last year, EY had global revenue of $40 billion. $13.6 billion came from their audit work. $40 billion and $13.6 came from audit from work. From audit okay. work, right. Um, the other thing is any change is going to have to be approved by the partners worldwide. So I, don't, I think last week we weren't sure, was this regional, was this global? So it's looking like this is a complete global move. And then there's um, kind of a quote in here. And this is why I was like, I wrote myself a note, like explain this, Blake. So actually, I'll, I'll read the quote that I don't need um, you to explain to me. So this is from Michael Schaub. He's an accounting professor at Texas A&M University. He said, the move could reduce conflicts of interest depending on how the profit incentives are structured. And they said, there could be more of a firewall, which we've talked about. This is the reason. They want to break up the audit divisions from the government standpoint, right? Yeah. They want that separation a little bit. Um, and they talk about this article that it could create pressure on the rest of the big four. But then there's this quote. So this is a quote from Jim Peterson, an attorney and former Arthur Anderson partner. Quote, this could have a destabilizing impact on the robustness of the assurance profession. What does that mean? Explain to me what he's talking about there. Well... Audit fees have been stagnant. It's hard to get people to take jobs in audit firms because the pay has been stagnant. There aren't a lot of people who want to be audit partners, so they're very top-heavy. People are edging toward retirement. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to bet that there's a lot of audit partners that are close to retirement, and they don't have enough people to replace them. So if you don't have the money from the consulting coming in to support all that, what happens to audits? So you break this off, there's a mass exodus of talent. So now you have this broken off organization. You, you can't just move people from the other division over because it's a separate company now. 
Yeah. And you're like, that's the disruption. It's going to domino, maybe. Yeah. And it'll impact audit quality is the idea. I mean, audit quality is already a problem, which is why they want to do this in the first place, right? I, I imagine that the reason this is happening again, and this happened once before in like 2002 after the whole Enron thing and all that stuff. Well, that's what the, this is the biggest move since the uh, Arthur, Arthur Anderson. Yeah. And so it's Enron, yeah. the cons- they, they split off their, uh, three of the big four split off their consulting divisions, and then they rebuilt them over 20 years. And now they want to split them off again. But it's really, I, I mean, my theory is that it's actually the consultants who are like, God, these auditors are really dragging down our image here. Let's let's go off on our own, right? Because the audits are not the audits are leading to liability and and uh, bad PR. Yeah, so it's a, it's a chance to break off. Yeah, you're right. Because if you're coming in to provide consulting services and your UI and all the people are like, oh, I heard about you guys. But it's always exactly right. it's every the time, bad audit right? News. Yeah, 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 I'm sure. Oh yeah, every time it's like, oh wow, you guys fucked up again. You know, like yes. that can't be fun. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that's why they're doing it. I'm sure there's pressure because in the UK, they, they want them split. Like this is Yeah, this the is going UK's to trying to split them up, which I think is the right thing to do. Like auditors should be independent. They shouldn't have all these conflicts of interest. But part of the problem is like the, the value of the audit has declined over time because auditors and accountants, we don't know how to deal with intangible assets. And that's 90% of the market value of the S&P 500. And if we're not auditing the most valuable assets that a company has, then who cares, right? In the knowledge economy, the most valuable assets of a business are nowhere on the balance sheet and accounting and auditing doesn't deal with it. So that's, that in my opinion is the big picture reason why audit has declined in value and we struggle to recruit people into the profession because the work that we do is not as meaningful as it used to be. It used to be really meaningful. Like, the audit profession grew for decades and decades from the Gilded Age until the Great Depression because investors demanded it. They wanted and they made their audit. investment decisions based off of that. Exactly. Because the auditors were validating the assets under management. They were holding managers accountable. They were ensuring proper stewardship of funds. They were making sure that managers weren't paying dividends out of paid in capital. They were making sure that profits were real and preventing fraud, but they don't do that anymore. Really? Well, they, they do it, but like, I, I imagine it's, it's just not as important to investors anymore. They don't invest on that. And the, the greatest example is go watch that movie, uh, the TV show, We Crashed, which is about the WeWork story. There's writing checks. Nobody looked at the financials ever. They just wrote checks. Right. And to me, that's not a criticism of investors. It's a criticism of the financials. If the investors aren't looking at the financials, it's because the financials aren't valuable to them. And that's because accounting standards haven't changed in a hundred years to Because it's not accounting to for the new world we live in. And yeah, yeah. And like the perfect example, which I like to talk about in my technology trends presentations, is subscription businesses. And we have this whole really wonderful system that's developed in a subscription business, all these KPIs that we've created that investors really love. And as a subscription business, you have to report on them. You have to know what is my CAC? What is my cost to acquire a customer? What is my lifetime value? What is my CAC to LTV ratio? What is my ARR? All this stuff is actually becoming very standard, has become very standard in the software world and technology world, but there's actually no accounting standards. And that's why 
they play games with this, like uh, like when Facebook and Twitter and these companies are like, oh, these are active monthly users. They all measure it how they want to measure it because there's no official standard on how to do these counts. Exactly. And they present the data that makes them look the best. Yes, yeah. And it's not comparable most of the time because of that. So investors really, the most important information to them in the subscription economy is not available most of the time. And so they're basically guessing. And if, if we really as accountants wanted to increase our value to the markets, we would standardize those KPIs. Did you know there's only one KPI in GAAP? There's only, I'm sorry, only one financial ratio in all of GAAP accounting. I read this somewhere. And what is that? <laughs> it's earnings per share. It's the only one. Nowhere else is, are any of these KPIs defined that are important to investors. That just is shocking to me. So here we are, we have FASB, we have FASB going off and saying like, uh, we're going to do all these ESG projects and we're going to, the SEC is like, we're going to do- And they officially like, put that stake in the ground this week. Like they're officially going to do these now. Yep. Right. But like our accounting doesn't deal with intangible assets and our economy has shifted from one based on transportation and manufacturing in the 50s and 60s to one based on you know, where the primary driver of new value is intellectual capital, your human capital and your intellectual property, your processes, your brand, all that stuff. And we do a really, really bad job of valuing intangibles because it's, it's hard and we haven't stepped up to the plate to try and do it. So, you know, come on. As a profession, this is our fault. We've been doing the same thing for 100 years and the economy has moved on. And this is why I think Elon Musk buying Twitter, right? They, they can't agree because the numbers aren't standard. Oh, they yeah. different views of the, how to count. They don't know how to count the value of Twitter. What is an active user? Maybe accountants could come up with a standard so that then when we look at all these businesses that have users, they could all report on it the same way. Or subscribers. What is a subscriber? How do we define it? Define a bot. Is it, uh, accountingconferences.com will tweet out conferences when they're 30 days away, seven days away. Now, that's a bot, technically. It's not a person, but like, it's a user. I don't know. To, to me, if you're a subscription business, why don't we have all the subscription businesses reporting, all the public ones, reporting their subscriber numbers? And we could have a standard way to compare that. And then it would be easier to invest in subscription businesses. And the insiders wouldn't have all that information, right? That's part of the problem too, is that if you're an insider, you have access to this information. You can trade on it. I mean, you're not supposed to, right? But we all know it happens. Yeah. It's just some people get caught, right? Sorry to go off on that rant on accounting standards, but you know, this is part of the whole critical thinking thing. I never was taught to think critically about accounting standards. I was just taught to memorize them. Like... He who knew best wrote them originally, and you should just follow them, Blake, and yeah. don't question yeah, authority. This is gap. This is what you learn. But we don't learn about why we have gap. And then when I started reading about the history of accounting, I said, oh, now this all makes a lot of sense. It was all based in railroads and transportation. And it was European investors who were putting large sums of money into American railroads. And they obviously weren't around to manage and, uh, and oversee it themselves. And so they required audited balance sheets. So they were working remotely from the other side of the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. So remote work or remote investing was what led to the start of it. And it was Scottish accountants, Scotland, 
innovated and created the first chartered accountancy for CPAs, for CAs, were in Scotland. And the European investors sent over the Scottish accountants to audit the railroads. And, and then it transitioned into income statement being a focus and earnings per share being a focus because in a manufacturing economy, right, manufacturing became big, your earnings per share is a really good measure of your future cash flows, or it's a really good indicator of potential future cash flows because it's all about minimizing your costs, increasing your efficiency in your manufacturing process so that you can have the largest profit margin. Well, that's when companies ran under the concept of profit margins. <laughs> if we can go off on that as well, this concept, uh, which is well, and, very and this is my right e now. Yeah. EPS is a terrible measure for subscription businesses because a subscription business will take all of its profits if they're doing it the right way and invest all or even more of their profits every quarter into obtaining more customers because they're going after future profit. Yeah, because you would basically, if you if you just made your investment decisions, you would have never invested in Amazon stock if you only based it on the financials that came out Earnings year after year after year after year. Yeah, for twenty years. Yeah, for twenty years, you would have never invested in Amazon. E if you EPS didn't, was it? Yeah, yeah. outside the market. Yeah. We should get into app news, but before that, we got some reviews. Let's hear them. Here's the reviews. So everybody, you can leave reviews. You can review leave reviews on Apple Podcasts right from your app. Just you have to scroll way to the bottom though to get the button that says leave a review. Or you can go to Podchaser and leave reviews. What I would suggest, though, is, and you're going to see because of these two reviews, maybe leave your name. Be nice. Like, that's all. Be nice to say your name when I read your review. I will shout out possibly for you. So we'll read the first one here. This is a five-star review on Apple Podcast. It's, uh, the title of the uh, review says, Great Info. Relevant and interesting. I learn something new every week. And this is from KLF1651. So thank you, KLF. Thank you, KLF. Uh, and then the next one is five-star review, again, on Apple Podcast, best accounting podcast out there. 10 of 10 podcast, always giving the best updates on accounting while also keeping it interesting. And this is from War Machine 470. So. Thank you. I understand maybe people, you know, they got their Apple phones when they were teenagers and maybe that's their Apple ID or something. But yeah, you, you can type in the review that your oh, yeah, name, yeah. you know, you could give your firm a plug, right? You could. Thank you, thank you so much for writing those reviews. They really mean a lot to us. They help us get more listeners because Apple surfaces or pushes podcasts into the feeds of potential new listeners based on good reviews. And so do us a favor. Looks at them and they only see old reviews. They're like, oh, these guys must not be doing this anymore. Yeah, they must. So how can now. people help us out, David, and leave a review? You can just go, like I said, in Apple, scroll to the bottom, find. Um, and your Apple podcast player, the, you have to scroll way down though. And there's a button to leave a review or you go to podchaser.com, find cloud accounting podcast and hit leave a review there as well for all the non-Apple people. So David, I monopolized a lot of our time in the show ranting about accounting standards. I apologize because we're supposed to talk about accounting technology. Well, we have app news now. We can jump in. Okay, well, we, we have like five minutes, so I'm going to oh, let this you is easy. pick. Yeah, no problem. Okay, go ahead. All right, so really quick one. So Melio, they announced that What's they're going to- What's that? Melio, Melio. <laughs> <laughs> so, they, uh, so my former employer, they uh, announced by July 1st, they will be able to, you can pay bills in 70 different countries. 
They didn't have international payments before? They did not fully. It was just uh, opened up oh, to cool. Canada and a couple countries. So now it's going to be full-blown, 70 countries. Wow. They announced that. And I actually noticed on the website as well, they're actually offering uh, APIs now. I haven't dug into it too much, but that, they didn't really announce that in the, the press. But on the new website, um, developers oh, could build apps using Melio APIs. Plug into Melio's payment network. That could yeah. be really powerful. Cool. That one. Um, Lightspeed. So Lightspeed's the uh, point of sale. They're out of Canada. They wound up buying mm-hmm. like Shopkeep and they bought from Australia the other. They have a lot of bicycle gen- shops, right? They, yeah, they, they kind of, that's where they started out. They like own yeah. the bicycle shops because there's inventory. It's complicated. They got really good at retail point of sale. Lots of parts. Yeah. Well, they've taken it one step further now. They've launched a B2B platform for North American fashion, outdoor, and sports retailers. So essentially you, through your point of sale, if you're selling bicycle tires, right? You could order those directly from the manufacturer through your point of sale and pay the bill. It's a full B2B network. You don't have to open up other software, go to some website, call your sales rep. So it's a full-blown closed network. So they have some brands. Um, you, I, I'm not that hip with fashion, but Tom Ford, Coach, Theory, Black Diamond, and Outdoor Voices. Cool. Um, and this is built off of their November acquisition of New Order and New Order that they purchased. It was an e-commerce platform for $425 million last last November. So they put that out. Lightyear. Lightyear is uh, similar to um, Bill.com type accounts payable automation software. They're based in Ireland. It's actually um, the Greg brothers who built a product before that they, Intuit wind up buying them really early on and then did nothing with it. A long, long, long time ago. I don't even remember the name of the product. So years later, they started this uh, new product company, Lightyear. But they have entered a strategic partnership with Sage to in, to be the preferred accounts payable automation partner for Sage business cloud accounting and the Intact offerings. And they'll basically um, what's what's happening now is Sage Intact's really getting a lot of the benefit of this. Before they didn't have a deep integration, so Sage Intact would just get a JPEG image of a PDF instead of our JPEG image of, an, of a bill instead of the PDF. Um, it's going to allow them to automatically reconcile to the supplier statements. It's going to match statements that are in Sage Intact back to Lightyear, and so you can use their uh, Lightyear's interface and just less data entry, right? So it's a more of an official partnership there. And then the last piece of app news I have is: Have you ever heard of uh, JotForm? I think so. I've heard account. of it. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like if you just need to like a contact us form, you want to spin up a little form, somebody fills it out, right? Whatever customized fields, and you could customize it. And there's other products out there that are like that. Well, apparently they opened they they launched a product not too long ago called JotForm Apps. So you could so instead of just creating a form, you could create kind of a miniature app per se. And what they've done now, because thirty percent of the apps that were built on that platform, people were building a store. So they were building a store and customizing how to get payments from. So now they just built an official JotForm store builder. So you could quickly just drag and drop elements to build a store within minutes and connect it to 25 different uh, payment gateways. So PayPal, Stripe, Square, et cetera. There's no additional transaction fees. They have like 70 widgets, works on any device. They have 100 templates. So it's just right out of the gate. So it's interesting to see how even looking at, remember we discovered why Intuit purchased MailChimp because MailChimp started e-commerce stores, that all these apps are creating these tools so people can just create a store. And that's kind of the end of the app news. Awesome. Well, perfect timing because we're at the top of the hour. If people want to get a hold of you, David, and tell you what they think, where should they go? Well, if you're at AICPA Engage, 
talk to us there. If you're at Scaling New Heights, talk to us in person there. If not, I'm on all the socials at David Leary. I am at Blake T. Oliver. You are welcome to email me, Blake at BlakeOliver.com. Send us your thoughts about the stories on this episode or previous episodes or stuff you think we should be covering. And if you're extra brave, send us a voicemail. We love hearing the voices of our listeners. So it's not just us talking all the time. We will listen and we will very, very, very likely play it on the air. I don't think I have ever not played a voicemail on the air. So you want to hear yourself on the Cloud Accounting Podcast, the number one podcast for accountants in the world? Send me an email. And what's the phone number? I forget. We haven't done the phone number in a long time. I don't time. Do the phone number anymore. I just remember it ends <laughs> in 1040. I just don't remember the first three digits. Well, after, well, so we stopped doing that because the quality was so much better on the voice recordings and people can just make a voice memo on their phone and email it to me. So Blake at BlakeOliver.com, make a voice memo. It'll sound way better than a phone call. We're, we're moving like up in the world, form, David. You just click and record like, a voicemail on a job form. You know, like the IRS makes you fax stuff in and phone them in. We're, we're more advanced than that, right? We can take an MP3 file or an M4A. I don't know. Oh, what somebody these files faxed, are. figured out how to fax one of us. We should have a fax read number. That on the air. So people could, we should have a fax number so people can fax in their, their thoughts. Handwritten letters. <laughs> Send your right, mail to note. David's home address. Yes. On that note, it's Mormon I'll here. See and I'll see you here. in two days in Vegas. I'm looking forward to it. See you then. Awesome. All right. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to quickly grow a scalable, systematic seven-figure accounting firm without having to work 50 plus hours per week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. Sign around Ryan's experience taking his cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm. You'll get coaching when you need help with implementation. And you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. Tired of clients not remembering to get W9s? Get W9 automates and streamlines the collection and storage of W9s. Get W9 has a QBO integration and they have a partner program that pays 25% commissions. Get W9 plans start at only $19 a year. Visit getw9.tax today to get started. That is getw9.tax. Are you looking for a dream job in cloud accounting? We have the job for you. Advisors for Change delivers cloud accounting systems to small and medium nonprofit organizations. Join our team of friendly and collaborative nonprofit accounting professionals while working from home. Our systems associate will join our experienced systems manager to implement and support cloud accounting systems such as QBO, Bill.com, Divi, Sassan, and others. To learn more, head to our website at advisorsforchange.com slash join dash our dash team. That's advisorsforchange.com slash join dash our dash team. We'll find a link to the full position description on Indeed. Are you ready to take your life and bookkeeping business to the next level? Are you aspiring to start your own bookkeeping business? Then hop on over to the Ambitious Bookkeeper podcast where you'll find encouragement, support, tools, resources, practical strategies, and actionable tips on starting, growing, and running a successful bookkeeping firm. Plus, listen to guest expert interviews that will help you elevate your business and enhance your life. Go to ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash podcast and subscribe now. That's ambitiousbookkeeper.com slash podcast. Are your bookkeeping clients driving you crazy asking the same questions over and over? They need QuickBooks training and you have more important things to do with your time. Let RoyalWise be your training partner. Create your own customized client training program and outsource your QuickBooks training department. 
Listeners of this podcast are invited to join our partner program and receive a 10% referral commission when you sign up. Join us at royalwise.com slash partner to learn more and get started today. Again, that's royalwise.com slash partner. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Blake, and I wanted to let you know about a new show I'm working on with CPA slash comedian Greg Kite and blogger slash former CPA Caleb Newquist. It's called Oh My Fraud, and it's a podcast all about financial crimes. That's right, a true crime podcast for accountants by accountants. Caleb and Greg are going to come together every couple weeks to unpack their favorite frauds and explore the circumstances, psychology, and interpersonal dynamics involved. They also fully indulge in victim-blaming the defrauded widows, orphans, infirm, and feeble-minded, because who can resist? If you fancy yourself a trusted advisor, or prefer your true crime with spreadsheets instead of corpses, listen to this show to learn what to watch out for, and to keep your clients, your firm, and even yourself safe. To subscribe, go to ohmyfraud.com, or search Oh My Fraud on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.